Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Hi, Joe Monroe. It is so good to have you here on this new She's the Boss Chats podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm just, I have been itching to do this because I've known you for a while and also I've had you on the show now. And each time, in fact, the best conversation I ever had with you was when you and I actually had a few too many drinks and you were telling me about your background and I was like, oh my God, this blows my mind. You've had so many interesting things happen. So now we've got an hour, we can go into it properly, but let's just start with what you're doing now. Can you tell us what it is that you do now and kind of why you're doing it? Not not a big why, but just, you know, what it is that you do and, and why. <laughs> um, right now, I do a couple of things. So, uh, and I like doing different things because I love variety or change, if you like. Um, so one of the things I do is I'm the go-to expert for e-commerce and retail for Channel 9, for Channel 9 News, The Current Affair, The Today Show, and I often get last-minute phone calls going, can you comment on this or can you come into the studio and do something on this or can you put a segment together on this? And I do the research and pull it together. And because of that, amazing opportunities have happened for me, which leads me into a variety of different other things I do. Um, I also have for a long time worked with retailers and companies and small businesses uh, on expanding their channels to market. So my one of my parts of my background is uh, understanding retail channels and how to build businesses. Let me just stop you there. What, what is what is a retail channel? Just just explain yeah, so I'm to me. Yeah, corporate. Space. I know. I was going to go for those <laughs> of us that don't know. What is yeah. it? Yeah. Um, really, uh, companies put together the way they're going to take products to market. Any company should, whether it's a small or large one, but large ones generally have multiple ways they take product to market. And so, for instance, I used to work for Telstra and they have a direct channel, so Telstra Shops, and they have their online channel, which is, you know, obviously the online site you can purchase through. And they have a sales channel, so all the way from the phone consultants all the way through to account execs that look after big corporates like Westpac and NAB. And and so they have lots of different salespeople across the board. And they also have an indirect channel, which are other companies that want to sell Telstra's products. So, you know, in the old days when I was there, it was Crazy John's and Strathfield Car Radio and Phone Zone. So lots of, yeah, resellers, but differently, it wasn't quite a resale contract. So, um, but yeah, there's multiple ways you can do it and also franchisees. So that's channels to market, how you take your product to market. When I was doing that, I worked with the dealer channel, but I also worked with the retailer. So Maya and DJs and Harvey Norman and a lot of other retailers. These are all, isn't it sad? I mean, I hate to... I hate to say it, but I feel like these are all names that are not going to be around in the future for much longer. No. I saw DJs as closing stores, Meyer is, they, they're going to go. So this is kind of great to kind of capture this at this time, uh, which for anyone who isn't yeah. sure, we're right plonk in the middle. Well, we're not, we're sort of, I was going to say coming out of the pandemic, but we've all been locked down for a couple of months now. So, um, but keep going. Okay. So you, you have been working with all those companies with their channels to market. That's right. And so I still do that. I still take on projects. I've also worked, I'm a, I'm a computer geek. So I've also worked in projects in ICT, so um, in communications and telecommunications. And you're still so, doing um, that now? And I do from time to time. I like to keep my hand in. I don't want it to be off my CV. So if I, if all the fabulous TV stuff and the media stuff, you know, disappears, I still have something that I can do. So I, I have all the balls in the air and keep juggling um, but I do like change and so it suits me perfectly because I like variety. I don't want to be stuck in one place for too long. I often say to my friends, I'm like the little lost hobo for the people that are old enough to remember that TV show, that I move on at the end of the, each episode to another another place. I would put you down as a classic entrepreneur then, a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, I am. And that's I am. maybe that's why I just think you're so fabulous. So was there um so so sorry and I've stopped you because you haven't kept going so what exactly so you're doing those bits now but you've also got a business haven't you 
Yeah, I have a couple of businesses like a serial entrepreneur. One of the things I did promise myself in the early days when I first sort of stepped out into business, there were just so many opportunities. I'd do this, a bit of this and a bit of that. And then one of the things I learned from one of my mentors was the trouble with entrepreneurs is they love lots of variety. The strength of an entrepreneur is they like a lot of variety. But you need to focus on something. Yes, it's our weakness so, as well. <laughs> absolutely. So um, the thing that I promised myself and in discussion with that mentor, the, the goal was to focus on three things predominantly. And if things come up, have them in the background, but yeah. your focus should be on one big thing and two minor things yeah. so that you can pivot if you need to at any time. And given where we are with the pandemic and the way the world has changed overnight, the pivot is really important. Um, in big corporates, they would call it a business continuity plan for having different processes to adopt to, to make sure their business still runs in. IT, they would call it a disaster recovery plan to still be able to access information and, and keep the business running if, say, the power goes out or the computer system dies. Um, but really, it's about having keeping your options open That's because you right. never know what's going to happen. And at a time like this, it sounds very sensible. Most of the time when you say that to people, they think you're crazy. I know. I, I'll never forget going to all those entrepreneurs' events probably about 15 or 20 years ago now when I first was really gung-ho for it and would say to people, they'd say, what are you doing? And I'd go, I've got seven things. I've started this business. I'm doing this. And then exactly the same as you, someone said, you really have to focus if you want to make it work. And really the day that I completely got out of my PR agency and when I am only going to focus on handle your own PR really changed everything for me and I and it did start to grow but anyway we still have sidetracked tell me what are the three business, three things that you're doing right now so really right now one of my brands is the savvy shopaholic and that's really um, talking about shopping from a consumer's point of view. What has, what's the best way to shop? How do you save them the most money? How does retail work? Where are the bargains? What's coming up? And that's really the stuff that I do in the media as well. Often they'll ring and say, oh, these sales are coming up. Can you give us a snapshot or shop the cities on? And can you talk to us about, you know, what's happening there? And on, in media, it's usually a three minute segment. Um, and so after, the first opportunity I got in that and then I started making notes on how to do it well. So I put together checklists and started putting a process together around what happens when the media calls and what I need to do and what I need to know and the best way to prepare and what I need to take with me. And and so I kind of made a process or a structure in what needs to happen. And yeah. funnily enough, once I sort of got seen a few times on the Today Show or A Current Affair, entrepreneurs would contact me and say, how did you make yourself the expert in that space in the media? And funnily enough, I pretty much itemised it because I was doing that for myself so I didn't forget things when I was nervous. So the other brand that I have, a variation on the theme of Savvy, um, was Media Savvy or MediaSavvy.online, which uh, is my sort of training company, I guess, for helping entrepreneurs and businesses expand their media footprint, but also understand how to make the best or the most of their time on the media. You may be able to pitch and you send a press release through and you get your time, but you don't get your message out there because obviously the people you're talking to in the media have an agenda of getting their audience entertained and you have an agenda of expanding your business. How do you meet that without breaching the confidence? You don't want to be salesy because they won't have you back again. But you also want to build your brand and your expertise and have people going, oh, who's that? I'd love to talk to them about my business. So understanding how that works and being elegant about building your brand without upsetting the producers and also not looking too hardcore salesy that it turns people off. Yeah, no, look, I think your service is absolutely spot on. I don't know whether it's because I am so firmly in that world where I'm constantly dealing with people that desperately want to get on TV and they get on and they are not experts in television. I mean, they're experts in mushroom, growing mushrooms or, you know, transforming people or resilience or whatever it might be. Um, and so they really do get really, really nervous. And so I think, you know, and the other thing I think that we need to point out about yours is that there are plenty of programs out there where it's five or ten grand for a day to do media training, which is completely out of the reach, really, financially, of a lot of the kind of people that we're talking about, which is small business owners, speakers, coaches, experts, etc. And yours is in the hundreds, isn't it? It's not in the thousands. Yeah. 
in couples of hundreds. Um, and my thing was, number one, I love, I love the interaction of taking someone from A to B. I have for like my first job, I guess, was a ballet teacher. That's the question I'm next going to ask you. Tell me about your career. <laughs> the big payoff for me is having someone not know how to do something and walk them through the steps so that they leave being able to do something. To me, that is absolutely gratifying. And, and personally, a payoff, it's joy to me. And whether it's teaching them to do a pirouette or it's teaching them what to do when they go into a, a studio without any idea what's going to happen to them. Because, you know, you've been in a studio, you walk in, the production people's job is just to mic you up and light you and, you know, get your hair and makeup done and plop you on a chair and go. No one actually is aware of how much experience you have or not. And if it's your first go, it's terrifying. You're totally out of your leg. And so I want people to go in knowing what they're going to say, understanding, being as prepared as possible, but also understanding what everyone's job is. So they're not hoping the cameraman's going to coach them into what's going to happen because they're, they're not. Their job is to frame you up and focus. <laughs> or if you're in Chicka TV, which I'm sure is obviously the start of something that's going to be similar, there is no crew. There are literally no. iPads that move on special legs and That's arms right. and cameras that are all flicked on from the desk. So there's no one else there to speak to you. You're in an empty space, really. And you know, so, by seeing yeah. people being interviewed, if their eyes are darting around or they look uncomfortable, it makes you as the viewer uncomfortable. And makes so, you look so that opportunity is lost. Because no one's going to ring the person that looks shifty because their eyes are going side to side only because there's people around them moving and they don't understand they have to look down the barrel of the camera. That's right. There's just a whole lot of little tricks. There's so many little tips and tricks. And so in my one day courses where I bring people in, I put them through their paces. And and to be fair, I often I I tip them into exercises unprepared so they know what it would be like if I just put them in a studio with on the Today Show. And what yeah. would happen if we just tipped them in untrained? So they get the re- and we video them and then we get them to uh, give us their phone so they tap, walk away with the video of the beginning, the before, the and before the after. And after. Yeah, brilliant. All right, which leads me perfectly now back to your ballet career. So (laughs) what I think is really, really interesting for women, and I am sure I'm not the only one, is I love hearing about the story of when you left school, what you thought you might become when you grew up, and what actually happened, because it is always so different. And I guess I'm hoping that this series of podcasts will be there to kind of inspire some younger women, as well as give comfort maybe (laughs) to some older women who are our age going, great, I'm not the only one that had a wiggly worm of a of a career. So let's start with you at whatever age leaving school and what happened from then on. Um, I, I always wanted to learn to dance and my mother hated dance brats, stage brats. She always thought that. Why did you always want to dance? I always wanted to and she would never let me. And so right. um, she was working at Northland and in school holidays, I would just go with her. She worked part-time, so I'd go for the couple of hours she was working. And in those days, for those who remember, all the shopping centres had pantomimes running in the school holidays. So I used right. to just go to the pantomime all the time to fill the day while she was, you know, working in Maya. And um, and I loved it. And, of course, there were dancing kids with tap shoes and sparkles and sequins. And, oh, okay. and so I would go all day, like every them. day, so, to the point that they would just let me go free because I was there at every session. Because I just loved the glamour of the whole, you know, the singing and dancing and acting. And to me, that was magic. It's what I oh, always wanted to do. that's such a cute image. That's such a cute image I know, of you I was, outside I was a groupie. in a shopping centre. I was a groupie at the age of eight or whatever for Daryl Summers <laughs> at Northland Shopping Centre. Right. <laughs> Daryl Summers doing okay. Aladdin in his lamp. Um, so, I, and so I got to know the dance teacher there. And she used to go – they – the people from the Panama often would go in and my mum would serve them where she worked in Maya. So she got to know them too. And I used to say to the dance teacher, I really want to learn to dance, but my mum won't let me. So she said, one day I'll go and talk to your mum and explain what we do. And and so she did. And finally mum gave in and said, you can do one class a week and that's all. And so I right. went and I was too old, really. I was 10 when I started, which for ballet is a bit old. But I was so dedicated to it. <laughs> And, um, Keen as mustard. <laughs> I was ridiculous. I was too old for the group I was in because I was too old by about three years. So I was too tall Sweet, and though. too big and too clumsy. And <laughs> But I was so dedicated. So after – but one thing they did know 
note was I've got double jointed elbows and uh, a 180 degree turnout in my hips and um, really flexible feet. So they're really pointy. And just those right. attributes in ballet are amazing. So they, I do a little bit of ballet. Learn, we learn a bit of ballet, a bit of tapping, a bit of jazz. And um, they saw very quickly how turned out I was and how my double-jointed right. elbows were very, you know, very soft and flexible. And and um, so the teacher wanted me to do ballet. And so the only way I was allowed to do any more than the one class a week was that I had to either work or be on scholarship to go through. And so, right. um, so I would teach private lessons and I would help teach for the dance teacher. And, um, and I also uh, did other things to, to sort of get my... So at this stage, you're still at school? Is it, yeah, I'm still at talking yeah, high 15, school. 16, something like no, that? No, no, 14 when I started to teach dance. Okay. And, um, and so and I started then... doing two ballet exams a year. So I was doing the Chiquetti ballet exams, which are internationally uh, recognised. And right. uh, so to catch up, I was doing two exams a year. I was getting honours, 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 honours. So everyone in, like the ballet teacher is going, oh, this is amazing. And my, my mother doesn't know because she knows nothing about that world. And um, yes. and suddenly I'm getting a lot of attention because I'm getting this accreditation going through. And she very quickly started enjoying the credibility that comes when you're a dance mum and someone's doing well. <laughs> right. <laughs> so for me, the highlight of all of it was, um, when I got to do a pantomime at High Point West, because that was a full circle moment at the age of fourteen. So, um, right. So I was beside myself, but I was doing it. I was acting. So then I started doing some acting from there. Um, but yeah, so I loved dancing, and the thing about teaching for me, it, re- it, it as I said earlier, one of the things I love to do, and as a, I, I also coach people now. But one of the things I talk about when I'm coaching with people is find something that makes your heart sing. And often the way to find that is to go, when I was a kid, what was it I wanted to do when I grew up and why? And the why often talks to what makes your heart sing. And for me, like... It's funny funny you should say that because I had a woman on the TV show, oh gosh, it it would be a couple of months ago now, and she literally took that idea and said, I bet all of you are actually still doing an extension of what you loved when you were younger. And they asked us, she said to us, you know, what did you love doing? And I clearly remember uh, helping all the the neighbourhood kids because I used to run these theatrical things and saying, when I grow up, I want to be a teacher. And I was thinking school teacher but I mean in, in its own way I am you are teaching a teacher. Now, so it's, that's right it's really interesting and same and with same me I'm you. still You're, doing you know, that yeah and the thing that I always Amazing. thought the two things that I thought were my assets were and I talk about making an asset personal asset list of what you're good at and what comes naturally and what you like to do not assets yeah. as in houses and cars but actual personal assets um yes. one of the assets that I thought was I love that thing about bringing someone in and walking them through the process but to walk them through the process, I feel like one of the gifts I have is being able to see what the gap is, what's going right. wrong that that can't be achieved. Now, running projects for corporates, I still use that gift because in a project, you're always looking at what's going wrong and what you're doing to mitigate it. So today yeah, I'm true. still doing the same things, walking people through, introducing change, seeing what the gap is and how to mitigate it. So I, in my coaching, that's also what I'm looking at is what the gap is and how we walk people through it simply and painfully, painlessly so they get through it quickly, yeah, painlessly. So, um, so often uh, when I was coaching, people had been through trauma and that sort of thing and you want to take the pain out of it and move them past that quickly so they can get on with their life. So it's funny how that what you did when you wanted to do when you were a kid speaks to the very things you're doing now. You just haven't made that connection. I know, it's bizarre, connection. isn't it? And if you're not doing so, them now, okay. you're not happy. No, well, that's very true. So, okay, so you finished school and you became a ballet coach or a ballet, I don't even know what yeah, they Yeah, I did all the exams and I became you? an associate of the Chiquetti Society, which is an international dancing society. And it's recognised right. worldwide. So when I did uh, sixth form... Because I was at a certain level doing the ballet exams, it was recognised as a subject towards my sixth form HSC. So like when you do music exams right. and it gets recognised as a separate yes, subject, yeah. this level of ballet... Yeah, and I think piano type. lessons used to Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So because it's considered like it's a classical form and it's um, well documented and it's been assessed for the curriculum, and so I was at a, a high relatively, well, 
I didn't think it was a high level at the time, but for where I was at the age group, I was at a high level. And then I went to university to do media drama. Um, I was very interested in doing drama. And they also had a dance course there that they talked me into doing. I didn't want to do it because I, it was modern dance and I really didn't think it was what I wanted to do. And um, quite right. <laughs> and they went, it's a free subject. What are you thinking about? So I went, oh, okay, I'll do it. Um, and it was interesting. It was good to do because it was a different discipline. But um, so, yeah, that's basically what I was doing. And then I was teaching uh, dancing until I was about uh, my late 20s. And then my marriage broke up. And then overnight I needed to get a job uh, to get some money coming in. Right. So let's just go back a little bit. And we don't want to go too personal. So only tell me what you want to say. Yeah. but. It wasn't your average, you know, okay, we've agreed to split up, you know, we'll move apart, we will do this together, we'll respect each other kind of a breakup, was it? No, I came home to a note that said he'd left and a $100 note and the bills were paid for a month and that was it. That was and that was a Tuesday night. And I'd just literally just oh. gone back to, I was at the National Theatre, so I just... That year I'd sort of gone, I really have like, you know, anyone who's creative that's not doing what they love, you're kind of crawling the walls. And I said, you know, I really want to go back to the theatre. And, and he sort of went, well, if you can get in. And I'm like, who are you yeah, talking right. to? <laughs> incredibly and, supportive of him. Yes, incredibly supportive, but not understanding what that was all about yeah. anyway. And so um, and so I'd come home late, obviously, after the theatre and be going, oh, I had the best time. It was amazing. And um and we were running kind of different lifestyles. I was up half the night and going to bed, you know, late and getting up at midday and starting to teach dance at four o'clock and, you know, relatively late and then come home, you're still buzzing and, and he was working an office job and so it kind of got and you know, yeah, I think hard. it's the old frog that's boiling. You don't notice that you're so unhappy because it's happening by increments. Um mm-hmm. so anyway, I came home, he left, it was a Tuesday night. I went to my mum's plug, my mum and dad's. Dad thought I'd borrowed my mum's car. And so when I walked in crying, dad thought I'd crashed the car. Um, (laughs) Good old dad. They always think things like that. He crashed the the car. I went, oh, no, it's broken up. And he went, oh, don't lie to me. You've you've crashed the car, haven't you? And so, no, I haven't. And and so my mum, being an old fashioned, gorgeous mum, said, well, tomorrow you're going to register as a deserted wife. And that just. Deserted wife, wow. Back in the good old days, the Department of Social Security, you had to go and register as a deserted wife, and I just couldn't do it. I walked in, looked around, there was a queue, and I just went, I can't do it, I just can't do it. So um, that was the Wednesday. On the Thursday, I rang every temp agency in Melbourne and begged for temp work, and they all said no, and it was in the old days when the Yellow Pages was a book, went through everyone in the Yellow Pages, and and then there was one group that seemed really friendly, even though they said they didn't have any work. And I rang them back and said, look, here's my situation. I've got $100. This is what's happened. I'm desperate for work. For work. I will do anything. Here's what I can do. And I had when I was a um, – my sister was a manager at IBM. And in yeah. school holidays it, when I was at university, they used to get you in to do sort of, you know, temp work. So I had worked is at IBM. like data entry kind of stuff? Yeah, just that sort of thing. And so yeah, I, yeah. I'd sort of said I'd worked at IBM <laughs> because I thought that was going to sound good. <laughs> and, um, and so they said, well, if you, you'll be okay, you're not going to be upset. And I said, no, I will be perfect. And they said, look, start tomorrow on a two-week assignment at Telstra. And, and that will tide you over, dear. That's right. They threw me a bone. And so I started at Telstra Mobile Net back in the day before Optus was around. It was just on the crest of the mobile phone industry taking off and um, and it was in the activation centre connecting the mobile phones with the mobile dealers. So quite an exciting industry to be in, funnily enough, at that time, even though these days we roll our eyes and go Telstra. It was amazing. But actually mobile phones were so innovative and different and were going to change our lives and have changed our lives. That's right. That I mean, it probably was the best time ever to go and work with them. It was craziness because in those days it was the bag phones that were $3,500 and it was just moving to the bricks that were $1,000, so they were considered affordable. And so the one. industry was just starting to take off. And then soon after that, they had the smaller phones uh, and the advertising campaigns about having a mobile phone for security, not because you were a wanker, but because it was about personal security. And so, of course, people bought 
that idea. Isn't it great to have a phone with you if you're stranded in a dark alley and your, your car's broken down? So, um, so it went nuts. And so I was there at the right time. And also I was a temp. So if someone wouldn't work late, they'd say, hey, will you stay back and work late? Hey, will you work on the weekend? Hey, will you start early? Hey, will you work back late? So some days I was working 12 hours a day. I'd work all weekend. On the weekend, it was time and a half, triple time on Sundays. So money was yeah, started right. to come in. And my yeah. life changed on a dime. The circle of people I was mixing with um, and my opportunities just changed. And it was great because I wasn't around the people who saw me as a deserted wife. I was around a whole bunch of new people. And it was a great time to sort of reinvent and think about what I wanted to do. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so how long did that two-week stint last? Um, I was a year in that job and then I went into this, um, what they called a dealer liaison, so working with the mobile dealers, driving around, they gave me a company car and I drove around Victoria, Tasmania, going out and seeing the mobile dealers and helping them make their connections uh, with their mobile phones. And I did that for a few years and then I was promoted into a sales role, so for the, the mobile sales channel, so working with the dealers again, and then they moved me into working with the retailers. So Maya was one of the accounts that I worked on, and that taught me about true old-fashioned um, bricks-and-mortar retail where, you know, you're you're quantifying what product you sell by the square footage value of the floor space in, uh, say, the the walk-in area in the um, Burke Street Mall of Maya. So that big wow, open amazing. door space is one of the, or was at the time, the um, the most expensive retail square footage in Australia. Wow. And so from then, I believe, and this is just from our conversation ages ago over booze, so who knows whether I've remembered remember <laughs> right, that you got really bitten by the entrepreneurial bug and that's when you started going out on your own. Is that is that around that time? Yeah, I, I moved through several jobs at Telstra and then my mum died um, suddenly and uh, my dad, I moved my dad in with me. And so that, and he wasn't in, he was in okay shape. I mean, he was elderly, but his health was deteriorating. And so an opportunity came up um, that Telstra was going to be doing, giving some packages. I'd been there 15 years at this stage. And uh, and my job was okay, but it wasn't really. I'd, I'd sort of lost interest. I mean, I was going through you were the paces. Bouncing out of bed in the morning, and they were talking about exiting people in my team, and they had real jobs, like they were really doing things that were beneficial. I felt like I was kind of just treading water. So I I proposed to them, said, "Look, don't get rid of the team. I'm more expensive. Why don't you package me out?" And they were like, "Oh no, no, no. We want to keep you." And then. I decided if I wasn't there, they would realise that they don't need me. So I'd um, suggested that I take <laughs> my long service leave at half pay for nine months. Wow. And they, right. so I had like obviously six months or something, five months of long service leave. And I said, oh, I'm going to take it at half pay. So I'll see you in nine months. And when they realised right. I wasn't going to be available to do what they wanted me to do for them, bless their hearts, they went, oh, you know about that package? <laughs> <laughs> so I left with nice the, strategy. Yeah, I left with a package and and looked after Dad. But that was when I said, "Well, I need to do something." So um, I set up my own business, and and I at the time, just before leaving Telstra, I was very interested in gender communications and uh, working with women and mentoring women. And I was um, in mentoring programs and working under David Thirty, who was the CEO. He was a group managing director of mobiles, but then the CEO of Telstra and. And um, he was very inspiring in the gender parity area. And um, yeah. so that was a real interest for me. So I ended up getting involved with uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, John Gray, the Mars-Venus group. And so that was coaching. a famous book in the in the 80s or 90s, wasn't it? Yeah. Men Are From it, Mars, went, Women it went Are From wild. Venus. It was and... like... Yeah. It was just all about celebrating the differences and pointing out the differences between men and women and, and understanding the communication them, gap. Like, what, you know, the best way to communicate to men, the best way to communicate with women. Um, when women want to talk, they don't want to be fixed, they just want to be able to talk. Men need to be able to get away and just solve their own problems, or men see problems as something you need to fix, not just something you listen to. So, when you understand some of that, Women feel like their husbands don't listen to them. It's just that they do listen to them, but they want to fix the problem because they think yes. that's what their job is, is to fix it and make it go away. Often women, and you'll agree, you, I can ring you up and go, 
hey, I've had a really crap day, and it was a blah, 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 and you go, oh, that's terrible, what mongrels? And you go, yeah, what mongrels? Okay, I feel better now. Yeah, Nothing that's exactly fit. right. <laughs> We've just got to talk about it. And for women, that yeah. community part of it is makes you feel better. It doesn't need to be fixed. So when the guy goes into fix mode, women feel like they're not heard, and, and it's just a communication difference. When people understand So what were you that, doing with them? So this is with the Mars, Venus people. What did you do Yeah, with I, I wrote their executive coaching program and then we went to teach coaches basically all over the world um, about how to coach. And so for me that was fascinating and I went sort of down that rabbit hole. I loved it um, and I learned neurolinguistic programming and hypnosis and all sorts of other things to help people get through trauma um, quickly. And I was coaching people but I was also teaching coaches to coach um, based on that sort of criteria. Right. But at this stage, you're still on a wage, I'm, I assume, are you? No, so I'm no, really I'm an independent contractor doing my... You're contracting at On my stage. own business and, and I'd work for them in, in, in little bouts. So um, I'd be home looking after my dad and then they'd say, hey, we're going to San Diego to do two weeks of training at the Grand Hyatt. And i go, great. And so off I'd go and do the work there and wow, then fantastic. come back to normal and do things wow. and then go to Las Vegas for a couple of weeks and do something else and then go to you know say Thailand and do something so I was traveling which was great and running events for them and running events around Australia but not full-time so to be in little clumps of pockets of time yeah okay and then so where did what where did that lead you um so then I uh I was working with this group and then they said, oh, there's some friends of ours who are running an event in Queensland. Are you interested? They'll fly up to Queensland and work the weekend. They need some help with their event um, and, you know, they'll pay you. And I went, yeah, that sounds great. I'm happy to do that. And they were teaching people about how to make money on eBay. Now, at the time, I thought eBay was a junkyard and I was already a shopaholic, a very well-established one, um, and I loved my brands. and. But not purchasing online because you're all bricks and mortar retail stores, Absolutely. blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. I love nothing better than to get out to a big shopping centre on the weekend and, you know, hunter-gatherer out there looking for bargains and targets. You know what I was. I have to say, I love doing that too. But yeah. um, but so you discovered the world of online selling. I did, and then the people that uh, ran the event were great. They were showing me how much money they were making, and I just could not reconcile in my head how you could make that much money a month selling stuff on eBay, which I thought was a junk. Go on, tell but us, rough. Give me an idea. How much is that much? How much they sort were of making, money do people I think make? It was like forty nine forty nine thousand dollars a month. Oh, my God. Right. Correct. Okay, yeah, I would have been like, oh, and this let is me a tell long me more about ago, this right? one. So I was like, oh, my God. And they, they like yeah. showed you. They were, they were very open about it. And so yeah. I said to them, I'd love, I, you know, I'm interested in, in it. And they said, well, and they were good. They were clever because they didn't say, oh, quick, we'll teach you everything. They said, sign up, have a go, see if it's something you're interested in. And if it is, then we'll talk later. And so I did. I signed up. I did a bid. Uh, and the thing that I'd heard from their event was you really need to master a niche so you're the go-to shop in that particular area. And so while I was trying to work that out, I was going, I'll just sell some things to get my feedback up. So, of course, because I'm a shopper, I'd be out and I'd see something and go, oh, that's a good bargain. I'll get one for me and one for my sister and maybe I'll buy five more and sell them on eBay. And if they don't sell, who cares? I'll give them away for Christmas. Yeah. And that was the standard line. Anything yeah. I thought I couldn't sell, I'd go, oh, I'll give it away for Christmas. So I started doing that. But also because I'd understood how retail worked and how trending items worked, I'd see, say, a Jamie Oliver cookbook uh, for Jamie's 15-Minute Meals, which was also running on television, his his series, and being plugged in every ad break. And so, And I also knew if you have the same product as everyone else, the argument becomes about price. People buy the lowest price. But if you've got a differentiated product, they can't compare price. You can't compare apples with apples. So I would put a bundle together. So it would be the book, but it would be $25 of Jamie Oliver goodies additional to the book. And it would be the full retail price, not a discounted price. And I was buying the Jamie Oliver goodies off St. Peter's at Kensington for a dollar a piece when they're worth, say, $10 retail. So it would be perceived value as $25 recommended retail, but I was maybe spending $4 on them. 
And then I was selling the book for, I think it was $39.99. And a lot of the discounted prices were, say, $24. But because it was $25 of extra bonus, Jamie Oliver guaranteed stuff, people were buying mine. And the other trick I learned was when you search on the internet, you don't put apostrophes in. So the book's name was Jamie's apostrophe, 15-minute meals. But no one searches like that. And I'd left the apostrophe out because I was thinking as a geek, how you search. And so although there were all these sellers with the book, same book, they had the apostrophes in like the publisher prints it. And I hadn't. So I was the first listing. So it went nuts. And, I mean, my phone was going cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. It was just crazy. So then that became part of my strategy. What is it? How do I find the the upward inflection on what's coming? What's the latest thing? So, you know, um, Heston Blumenthal was opening his Big Fat Duck uh, restaurant yep. and he just yes. published the big fat duck cookbook not the small one but this big box set that was worth 300 dollars uh recommended right. retail and i found it at costco for i think it was 140 dollars or 139 dollars and so i bought out what they had and right. in two i think it was in two weeks i did ten thousand dollars of wow but it was about knowing it was being published publicized everywhere and that publicity thing was if you could ride the curve of the publicity and you had the product at a good price and you had a differentiated offer and so that was all the retail you know information i was gonna say i can see that this would that would have been really exciting for a while to just be a watching the ka-ching ka-ching but also thinking i can beat them on this one i've I've got a better deal i'll offer for that one so at what stage did that start palling a bit and you started thinking you know, I don't know whether I want to do this, something. I, there's another shiny thing out there. Well, there's always another shiny thing. So I know. A publisher That's what I'm wondering what it was this time. eBay's a hot topic. You should write a book about what you're doing because you're not just doing eBay. You're actually shopping for eBay. And so that's how the book, The Savvy Shopaholic, started. Um, right. I wrote about what I was doing. So I'm saying people can make $100 a week or $1,000 a week depending on how much work they want to put into it. So if you're a mum at home and you want an extra couple of hundred dollars a week, you could easily do this as a part-time thing and yeah. and from the comfort of your home and your PJs. So that's why I wrote that book. And then when I was right. out talking about the book, I met uh, the chief of staff from uh, the Today Show at Channel 9 who recognised that I can talk underwater and um, (laughs) said, oh, you should talk about shopping. Oh, no, Joe, he he was so wrong because you're so quiet, shy and retiring. I'm just trying to drag the information out of you, you noticing? It's so hard to get you to speak. It's really hard, I know. Um, so I think yeah. I recognise a fellow person, don't worry. <laughs> and he sort of said, I'll come and you should come and talk about shopping sometime with us. And I just thought, what a lovely guy. Like, that's such a nice thing to say. And yeah. I, I, I think I said, oh, darling, have your people called my people or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> And then one day he rang and said, So you hey, weren't taking him seriously at the time? I, look, you hope. You go, would that be lovely? But I didn't really yeah. think, honestly. Um, and, my, you know, really my goal was I watched the Today Show. I was a fan. I watched it every morning. I, when I'd get up, you know, I'd, I'd be in and out of the shower and doing stuff and I'd be watching the time and the weather. Yeah, we. I think we all did and in those Carl days. And Carl and mucking around. And so I felt like I knew them. So yeah. when I did actually do the live cross from the Burke Street Mel, the first one, and they put the earpiece in and you, there's no screen or anything, you just you and your cameraman and a yeah. sound guy in the middle of the Burke Street Mel and all you can do is hear the studio, I kept having to go snap out of it. They're not in the background at home, those voices. They're actually yeah, right. about to talk to you. So Woo-hoo. get with it, sister, because, you know, I kept kind of lulling into, oh, yeah, it's okay. And, and I'm like, no, no, they're about to talk to you. You know, get on it. Um, yeah, right. So, but uh, knowing them, as I felt like as an audience member, I knew what they were like and what they, you know, made fun of. And that kind of helped that first segment because I sort of knew, talking about certain things, I would expect that Carl would bite onto bits of it all Lisa would like a certain bit so when I was putting together the segment and what we're going to talk about um, I did practice a few things that I thought were key points to get out and because I was going to be nervous I wanted to make sure even if I was a blubbering mess that I could get rely on some information that I'd learned to kind of fall back on if I really lost the plot because it was live tv and so I had practiced a few things and one of the things I they were giving away free um, espresso martinis for Shop the City. Yeah. And I knew that when I said that, Carl would bite onto that. And he did. 
bless his heart. <laughs> and so and that so kind say, of kept it, the levity in the segment. So they ended up mucking around quite a bit. I just laughed. Um, I was in the Burke Street Mel, trams were going by and my earpiece wasn't up high enough, so it kept blocking out what was going on in the studio. So when in doubt, laugh. So I laughed yes. a lot. But when you see the split screen, if you see that segment, it looks like we're all having the best time and um, and it goes on and on because they were just mucking around and doing what they do. And it was a really great, fun segment and I got through it, bless, you know, bless them for being nice to me. And yeah. at the end, Carl sort of said, oh, you've got great energy. We'd love to have you back again. And, of course, all my friends thought that was magic. Oh, Carl loved you. And I'm like, he's just been very kind. And that's, that's my first and only time <laughs> no, on the Today Show. It. I've been there. Yes. <laughs> so but he meant it. And the next thing is they start ringing you and asking you to come on more frequently. And that was what happened. The next week they rang and said, oh, do you want to do a segment on eBay? And I said, oh, do you know that I do stuff on eBay? And they said, no, we just saw you on TV last week. Right. Interesting. So tell me, we, we, and this is just purely out of curiosity, are you being, were you, are you paid for the work that you do with in the, the Today Show or is this? In the beginning you're not, obviously, because they, they no. want people to come in and, and do what they do. Yeah, because, I mean, I work with lots of people and I'm like, be great. I've, I've seen the odd person say, they expect me to be interviewed and I've got to fly myself there or they want me to come to my, they want to come to my work and I'm going to have to tidy it and they don't even want to pay me and I'm like, you, you, the payment you get is that exposure Free on advertising alone. So. so, look, the, the second segment I did was with Today Extra, so that's after 9 o'clock, and yeah. bless their hearts, they put your URL up on the screen, they plug yeah, your stuff, amazing. like, and they, they do it very generously. It's not like you go, oh, by the way, can you do this? They just do it. How do you want to yeah. be introduced? <laughs> Have you got something? Like, they were really, really good. And so at the end of every segment, and I've got, like, you know, sizzle reel of them going, oh, and for more information about this, go to savvyshopaholic.com and I'm like that's free advertising Gold. you cannot buy <laughs> absolutely absolutely but um but in the beginning I did was mainly doing things from Melbourne and then yeah. um as I sort of they worked with me a lot more and I made I worked very hard to make myself indispensable so um that second segment when they said about eBay and they had a press release with some stats and I said look I think there's better stats than these. This is I work in this space and I've got research tools. Can I come back to you with more up-to-date details? And I'll reference it so you've got, you know, you can reference back about what the yeah. information is. And they went, oh, okay, if you want to. So I, I put together a whole thing on the topic they were talking about. So they loved yeah. that. And so then I realised the more I could do to help the producer, the more indispensable as talent I became. And um, and that was my goal was to do more of it because it was great, you know, exposure for me and my brand. And also yeah, being in that eBay space, there were so many people talking about how to do stuff on eBay. They weren't doing what I was doing and I needed to find a way to differentiate myself. And for me, that was a great way of getting ahead of the crowd, like getting my head up above the crowd just by that sheer publicity and that endorsement from national TV. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to shift the conversation slightly, and there may not be anyone that you want to mention now, I don't know, but I kind of like, because this is all about women in business and female founders, I kind of like to ask a question that I don't think anyone ever really asks women, which is, have you had help from some women along the way? Have there been some pivotal women that have helped you at some stage get through or that you've really admired and and had as a role model? Yeah, I've been lucky to have a lot of... uh amazing women in my life. So first one was the dance teacher, obviously, and she was like a second yes. mother to me. Um, and then moving on, I'm really lucky. I've got a, um, I've got two sisters that are older um, and both mentored well, me in different I don't ways. Sisters. Yeah. Always and been one, very jealous of girls with sisters. One sister is 10 years older and it has been a, a CEO of international companies and has worked in the channels space. So when I got when I first was working at Telstra, she was giving me a lot of insight into, oh, you know, I would say, oh, this happened. And, of course, I was a ballet kid. I wasn't into office politics at all. And she'd say, okay, if in that situation, these are the things that will happen. So here's what I recommend. You do this, you do this, you do this. And it was like she had a crystal ball because wow, what she said came to pass. And so then I would be mentored by her regularly. I'd go and ask her questions and she was great. And she did treat me not like a little, well, she, of course she treated me like a little sister, but she gave me 
real mentoring seriously like she would with her team members. And so I was very lucky to have that calibre of mentor very early on to see how the the game was played, especially in corporate. You were very lucky, you're right. Very lucky, you're right. Very blessed, especially because the corporate landscape was diabolical and she was a she's a very good politician in that space um and then in moving into sort of the media space I was very well uh, on a personal note the guys from Mars Venus Darren and Jackie um Jackie is a great mentor as a woman but Darren her husband as well um coached me and were really kind and were very supportive with with me when I was going through um the three years uh, looking after dad now when I say going through being a carer is an awful job you feel guilty and you feel you're exhausted and you know there's it's a whole different mindset and so they would whisk me away to go and do jobs for a couple of weeks knowing that it kind of got me out of you know that Uh um that situation so they were incredibly generous but also very emotionally supportive as well so they were amazing and that's fantastic and also um obviously in the media i've had a couple of people that have been really great and one being uh robin foister from the carousel who used to be the editor of the women's weekly and and knows the media landscape and i started writing for the carousel and and she was very incredibly generous saying if you've got questions just ask me because she's worked in television she's worked um in the uk she's won awards she's had this amazing background so she's not only been a great friend but also a a lovely mentor in this space to kind of give me the lay of the landscape and what to do and what not to do Um, oh that's really lovely because I do hear I I know Robin Foister's name from doing PR for years as well so it's I always I think it's worth because there you know there are so many stories out there about women being bitchy that I really like to just kind of go you know what there are so many awesome people that help us as well so that's a terrific thing. Now, along the way on your entrepreneurial journey, have there, what were the sort of pivotal moments that you maybe learned something from that I think if you, if you can think of any anyway, that it would be really useful for, again, any other women that might be listening to kind of go, you know, you don't have to, if, if something awful happens, it doesn't have to bring you to your knees there is another way it can you can rise like a phoenix from the flames or whatever the expression might be but um what what sort of moments other than obviously your husband leaving and clearing out the bank account sent you on a whole other path in life um but aside from that what other ones have there been do you think i've got to say just recently um i gave a, a talk uh, and we sort of pivoted because the pandemic had started it was supposed to be about yep. media and it turned into crisis opportunity and resilience so it gave me some time to think about it and i've got to say out of all the crises in my life it's been a time where i've i've had to take time to reassess and and take steps uncomfortable steps more often than not, in different directions. And it's been the making of me. So I'm a fan of going, especially now where people really are having the time at home to to really look at their life and what makes them happy and what's fulfilling and what makes money. Um, And I think a couple of lessons I've learned that seemed to be a a recurring theme for me was um, even though life has changed and it's a little bit painful, when the opportunity presents itself, just say yes you're going to be scared yeah, and you're going to have fear and also you probably don't even know how to do what you're saying yes to. But we're blessed now because it's a fantastic thing called Google where you can just Google, get on YouTube, and there's an expert on everything showing you how to do it. Um, it's it, That's a really interesting thing to say because I don't know whether it was you I was having the conversation with, but it is really obvious to in when you deal with men and women particularly in HR and those kind of things when you're talking about jobs how guys will say you know I don't you know they might look at a job description and be able to do about 50% of it and yeah. go that's it that's fine I'm going to go for it and with a woman might be sitting there at 85% going they probably won't want me because I can't do 15% of the job it's a very different mindset Absolutely. so that idea of just say yes Learn along the way. And if you, I mean, the worst thing that can happen is if you hate it, you just say no later. But and, and always say yes absolutely. to the opportunity first. Absolutely. And so that, that's been a recurring thing for me is say yes and do it anyway. And then in this talk I gave a couple of weeks ago, a lady said to me, which really floored me actually. And I don't know yeah. whether it floored me because it took me back to the day, but I felt um, really the, the repercussions of what she was saying. And she said, but how do you get over the fear? 
And I said yes, to her, very good question. when something changes and you say yes, you just have to say yes. You don't think about it. You say yes. If you're not feeling fear or scared or trepidatious, you're actually not emotionally wired right. It's actually natural to feel fear and to be scared and to be nervous, but all of those things actually give you energy. So then use that's the right, energy. That's right, they make you excited. That's right. So then use the energy to go and spend the time learning about it, getting yourself prepared, do everything you can to be prepared, go in, feel nervous, but when you're nervous, don't let it debilitate you. Just tell yourself that's energy and use that nervous energy in a, a good way. People love it when you're keen, even if you're bouncing out of your skin. But if you let the fear shut you down, you're never going to do anything. And so don't overthink it, just say yes and jump in. And so, but I, for me, I felt the the granite boulder drop in my gut when she said it, because I think for her, the fear was, I can't do it, it's a roadblock. So what, how, do you, how do you deal with that? And, and I, I feel like... Um, the fear thing for people is a, a roadblock instead of going, no, that's healthy. That's your nervous system saying, ah, oh, this is something different. Beware. So it's actually natural to feel fear. It and as soon as you understand it's natural, than... it's all good. And, and really just not to let it paralyze you, but to just keep taking those steps because, I mean, look what's happened with you with Channel 9. The same thing's happened for me with Ticker. Really the same thing happened to me with Handle Your Own PR. It was a moment where I thought... God, should we do this? And I remember my business partner at the time saying, there is no way we should be doing this. We're going to lose all our customers if we tell them how to do it themselves. Yep. And me kind of going, no, nah, I just feel in my guts it's right. Let's give it a go. So I, I think that is possibly one of the best bits of advice I've ever heard, actually. <laughs> and I think it's really good for people to learn off someone who's doing it. So yeah. for me, there's a lot of um, ex-journos teaching media training, and it's good for politicians to learn from an ex-journo what the interview pattern is going to be like, and that's not my space. My space is really about entrepreneurs and businesses wanting to grow and get themselves on TV to promote their stuff yeah. and how to do and that also, without being too salesy. Um, so that's I'm right. in the hot seat and I can talk from my example of what I went through and how I nurtured the relationships and learnt the lessons and the checklists I put together. So I've been them going through it rather than an external person going, oh, this is what you should do. Not sure if it works, but it sounds like what you should do. No, that's right. And one of the things that I always say to people, if you're going onto one of those shows as well, and they do have a lot of fear, I know, how you feel. And actually, even when I go on TV or on radio, I still, my mouth just completely dries. Like there is no moisture left in my body. And I start going like that. And I get so nervous. My heart's (laughs) beating, but it's amazing. (laughs) Amazing how you just kind of um, pick up. But one of the things I always say to people is when you go on those kind of shows, those journalists are not trying to trip you up. It is not a current affair where they're going to go racing down the street or or they're going to say, actually, we've heard from someone that you're a loser or you rip people off. They just genuinely want to know what it is that you can do to help their audience. And they're going to, as you, and I think I heard you say on the show the other day, they're going to help you get there. That's if, right. If you stumble, they will be the ones to catch it's you. It's their job to keep the ball bouncing. So especially on live TV, and I have had a time where I blanked on something, and threw the ball back to David Campbell. Bless his heart, he's the most gorgeous man. But I went, oh, there's three things I need to tell you. I need to tell you one and two. And, oh, my goodness, I blanked on three. Oh, to be on the website, won't it, David? Now, it wasn't yeah, going to perfect. be. It wasn't going to be, but it was then. Some poor producer was running around <laughs> putting it up on the website. But you know what I mean? Like their job is to provide the net yeah. to catch you if you fall. Um, and also right. to move it along. If something happens, breaking news, whatever it is live, they keep the ball bouncing. So, feeling rest assured that they're going to catch you. But I also send people, you know, my clients in with a backup plan. Like I said, I always have sound bites prepared. So if I go blank or if I get a question out of left field, and that has happened a couple of times with guest uh, hosts that, you know, want to, they think I'm a nice shopping lady and they want to sort of poke under the hood about, oh, well, online retail is taking away the business from more, bricks and mortar retailers. They don't necessarily know I've got a background in channels to market. Yeah, right. So I always have something up my sleeve just to save myself in case. And that preparedness makes you feel confident so you're not as terrified going in because I have got a few tricks up my sleeve I can fall back on. 
Good point. All right, now let's just talk about work and life because I think this is really interesting with female founders and with women who are running their own businesses. How do you juggle your life life, as in your life and your relaxation time, with your work? Is it all just one steady stream? Are you taking weekends? What sort of hours are you working? Uh, It depends. For me, the media savvy stuff or savvy shopaholic stuff is fun. Um, yeah. Although there is a lot of work when you're preparing for a TV segment or whatever, but um, I see that as fun. And, and often I'm doing contracts for businesses as well. So I try and chunk things into um, capsules, if you like. So I'm going to work, it might be, you know, eight to five this day with this group that I'm working with. And then uh, I'll get home and I'll take a couple of hours and then I'm going to do three hours or I'm going to do this. Or sometimes now it's getting cold, I just go to bed with my laptop. Um, and sit there and type and do brain dumps and things. And and I do write articles for magazines and that sort of thing. So I often will just do a brain dump. And the way I write, I like to put everything down on paper and then come back with fresh eyes and edit it. So it's a good process for me to just put it down. And then in a day or two's time, I come with fresh eyes and go, oh, my God, what was I thinking? Um, (laughs) And edit it down to something reasonable. (laughs) Yeah, good ideas. But but I guess um, one of the things that's coming out from you, and, and it's very much the same for me and I think for a lot of women, is that if it is something that you love and you have a passion for, then you work really hard when you need to work really hard and you relax when you don't have to work really hard, I guess. And if it means that we have to work on weekends or at nights, it doesn't really bother me no. because I know I can take a Thursday off if I want to or I can do whatever and I'm quite happy to put a really hard you know, month in where maybe I work weeks and and weekdays and weekends and then maybe not do, you know, do some three-day weeks for a couple of weeks if I haven't got much on. So it it is a beautiful thing. It does give you flexibility. You know, it is also stressful. I'm not going to kid anyone oh, that no, there are worked. times when I go, oh, my God, how am I going to pay my rent? Absolutely That worked. money will always hit the bank account or you may, you've got, when it's in your hands, you can kind of find a way to do something to pay that if necessary and the other part of that too is I still do contracts with large corporates often and do big chunks of projects but my view of the world with that is different than when I actually worked in a corporate because there was all the politics and I was involved in that and such and such said this to me and how dare they and all right being an outsider going in and doing a piece of work is a very liberating place to be you still give Mm. the work all your heart and soul to get the job done but it's not who doesn't define who you are and so being away from, and I have done some contracts back at Telstra since leaving them. I was a permanent employee, permanent employee for 15 years. And then I've done a couple of stints back with them, even for a couple of years at a time. But as a right. contractor, doing a specific project for a specific outcome. But going yeah. back in, it's been the most liberating thing because I'm not in the politics anymore. And I've got my own business and it's my, my own business sending me in as a resource to do the job. And so I feel that arm's length thing where I don't have to care about what the politics is and who's doing what to whom. I'm there for a purpose to get the job done, uh, you know, see all the old mates that are still working there, but I'm not sort of sucked into that, all the emotional trauma and, and it defining me as a person. And so it doesn't no, and I have to say, I have to say when I go into corporates now, and I know this is a terrible thing to say, but I often look at the people chained to their desks and I just think that they must be looking at me going, you're so lucky. (laughs) And I do often think I am so lucky. I don't have to work in this place. I don't have anyone that tells me that, you know, I'm not allowed to do social media for certain hours or what time am I going to get in or what time am I going to get back? So there's swings and swings and roundabouts or different balances, I guess, for, for the pros and cons of it. But if you are that person that it suits, I just cannot imagine working for anyone else myself ever again. Now, I've got a great question for you that you are in no way going to be prepared for, I don't think, because awesome. I forgot to mention it to you. <laughs> so I'll see whether you can think of it. But can you think of a quirky fact about you that most people don't know? A quirky... Something that happened to you or a quirky fact or something a, something quirky about you that most people don't know? Oh, most people know I'm a crazy cat lady <laughs> and I love rescue cats. Um, I'm a crazy cook. I really like to cook and being at home in the pandemic oh, okay. has been craziness because every KitchenAid blender and device I've got has been getting a workout and the trouble is I'm eating. Um, yes, I know that feeling. Uh, I am obsessed with 
the American political situation at the moment like it's a reality <sighs> TV show. It's a very sad reality TV show that I, I watch. It's like watching a car crash in slow really motion, is. I reckon. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I love CNN and MSNBC and watching what's going on and I've got my favourite people that I watch all the time and and um, and I also love a satirist called Randy Rainbow who does show tunes around the Donald Trump stuff. But to oh Broadway my god! Song. Well, I have a, there, there. You go. That Randy that's Rainbow a great is one. my favorite. He's and and when I'm feeling, you know, if I'm cleaning the house or I'm just feeling a bit down, I put on Randy Rainbow singing about Fiddler on the Roof, but talking about distraction of what Donald Trump's doing or to, about the Cuomo <laughs> brothers. He sings Oh Sandy from Greece. You know the Oh Sandy, can't you see? Yes. Well, he sings Oh Andy, Andrew Cuomo. Oh. Um, so you've got to just watch watch Randy Rainbow. It's his real name, by the way. I'm going to He's go and magnificent, it and it's a joy. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, and then just a last before we go, because there's been a great chat. Um, just some fun. What are the two most useful apps on your phone? Oh dear, um, I'm addicted to. I think it's called Toon Blast, which you're blowing up cartoon characters or something. Okay. So much so uh, playing it that I'm actually the leader of some group now because I've been playing it so long that everyone else has dropped out. So I have my own I think own that's happening group. for me with Candy Crush as well. It's, it's very sad. Yeah, I, I don't, but that I've must be done. your fun. That's your fun one. I want to. Uh, can you give me a couple of useful ones other than maybe your banking app because other people have <laughs> said banking apps enough. And let's just take that as a given that we all like that one. I. I uh, yeah. So that one was called useful yeah, for Tune business. Blast. Um, I am on um, YouTube a lot, the app, because I yeah. when I'm out and about, like in the car, I always have YouTube blasting. I pay for the oh, premium the version. Girl. I watch YouTube all the time, and that's all the CNN and MSNBC, and yeah. I have favourite people and, and Randy Rainbow. Just flicking through. Um, Do you use any for business that are outside of banking? Like I've got one called JotNot, and it turns my phone into a scanner. So oh, yeah, anywhere I, that you are, you can just sign a document, take yep. a photo of it. It'll process it as black and white, turn it into a PDF, and you can yep. send it off. Yeah, Cam and Canva I is do the that. other one. I just could not do without Canva. Yeah, so oh yeah, Canva I have. Um, Cam Scanner is my scanning app, and I love that because, okay. uh, especially when I'm doing projects, you write on whiteboards, and then I take a photo of it, turn it into a PDF, and email it. Because it's a PDF, you can blow it up as big as you like. So even if the writing's really bad on the whiteboard, you can blow it up giant so you can see what it yeah, is. Yeah, great. And so from a project point of view, it's a great way to um, to capture everything. I am a big fan of uh, recording meetings, especially in project land. I, I, you do, like transcribing, like something like Otter that transcribes? I don't have or it transcribed. I usually type up the minutes from it, but I love to record things because – just like if we're using jargon and someone's new to the area, you say something in jargon and also, you know, say Osher or you say Canva and then if they listen back, they can actually hear what we say. They won't remember it or they won't be able to write fast enough to, to get it down. So I'm a big fan of recording everything. I'm just flicking through to see if there's anything else. Do you know about Otter? Because Otter no, records it the audio but it transcribes it and it's free. Oh, there you go. You get 10 hours a month. It's O-T-T-E-R. Give it a go. And you get 10 hours a month, so 600 minutes a month, and you just turn it on for your meeting and it will do all the transcriptions, speaker one, speaker two, speaker three, and wow. you can give the speakers wow. names and what have you. And then you just send it to yourself as a, as a file to edit. Fantastic. Um, yeah, just just a handy little... That's um, I'm like the queen of iPhone apps. I, I'm sick with them. It, there's something weird in me that I love them. Um, no, that's right, fantastic. And the only other thing Thank on my you. iPhone is the light that I use, which is my my little um, light that I love when we're doing, you know, taking photos with people uh, taking yes. selfies. Yes, and now that's your, that's the the case, isn't it? That it turns yeah, it into the case the, turns that into light a, that you need a for... selfie light. <laughs> What's it called? It's um, a Rebecca Minkoff uh, selfie light, and it's a a, a ruggedized case, and um, there's a button on the back that turns a light on. And, um, All and the way could, around the screen, yeah, isn't it? It's so like that a when circular you're looking, light. You're getting that nice round light. And um, and by holding the button in, you can dim it or make it brighter, so it doesn't have to be uber bright. But it's a great way of getting people to take selfies with you that don't want to have selfies because by the time they're looking at the light, you've already taken the selfie. 
Oh, yeah, good idea. It's sneaky. I might have to look into getting one of those. Well, look, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the on the She's the Boss Chats is the name of the podcast. Lovely. So it's been brilliant to have you on. I love hearing about people's business journey and you are one fascinating woman. So thank you very much. If anyone wants to get hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? So if you're interested in shopping tips, SavvyShopaholic.com.au or for more yeah. on the media training side of things, MediaSavvy.online. And that's got, that's sort of the entry page and I've got membership site with little tiny, um, little bite-sized pieces of training. And there's also um, my events when we're back in, we're back in rooms, but I also have when online we're back events out as again. well. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's Media Savvy and Shopping, uh, Savvy Shopaholic, S-A-W-V-Y, isn't it? That's right. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on and I will look forward to seeing you next time on whatever channel you're going to appear on. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet, and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she'stheboss.com.au and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. 